and welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm chatting to Lisa McCurdy, Vice President and Head of Global Client Partnerships at STEM Healthcare. A fellow northerner at heart, though now based in St Albans, Lisa has a 30-year career in the industry and is passionate about empowering women in the workplace. I'm really excited to speak to her, so let's get going. Hi Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi Liv, great to be here. How are you doing, you okay? Very good, thank you. Fabulous. Okay, so to get us going Lisa, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Lisa McCurdy. I grew up in the Wirral, so I'm a northerner at heart, but I have spent most of my life down south. I've been in my career, I've been very inspired by my amazing late mum, who was an amazing nurse, to believe very strongly in women's rights and quality in all things. And that's really informed some of my, a lot of my decisions in life. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So I, when I was about was quite young, 14, I decided I wanted to go into industry. I went to an all-girls school in Birkenhead that was very into encouraging women to enter industry. So that put me on that track. I did my business studies degree in Manchester. I also did the CIM diploma there. And in the last three years, I've rebooted all that. And I'm a chartered marketeer now at the CIM. So that's been really interesting. I've got two daughters. They're 20 and 16. My oldest is a total academic. She's in her final year at university in Paris. And she's oh, going wow. on to do a, a master's in London. And my youngest, who's 16, is a true performer. She's just started a fabulous performing arts sixth form school. It's a very different trajectory for both of them. Wow. Oh, <laughs> living in Paris then. Yeah. Been... And it's quite nice. Good to have excuses to go and visit a lot. I was going to say, you're going to visit her a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a fellow northerner then. I'm in Manchester. Yeah. That's Manchester. When did you move down south? Must have like when it was when I went into just before I went into a marketing role with MSD, so in early about the mid nineties, early nineties. Yeah. God. Yeah, I've down time. since then. Yeah. I know. Do you ever get back up? Yes, yeah, so I still have family who are in the Wirral and so I do go quite a lot. Yeah. Fabulous. So you probably know by now the general purpose of this podcast is to get a bit of an idea about the person behind the job title so we can all look at LinkedIn and see what people do and see the titles that they hold it's really useful to know a little bit about what put you to where you are now and the decisions that you made along the way so you started as a medical representative in Merck is that right it was actually, it was known for Lake Mora, so it's about, I, I can't believe it's going to be a significant anniversary. It was about this time, 1993, when I did my first role. And after I graduated, I would I thought I would, was probably going to go into HR or something and quickly found out that wasn't for me. But I found out through medical sales, through my mum, and she put me in touch with the regional business manager at Redfield Rora. And because I looked into it and saw all the routes that you could take in the industry, and that was it. That was decision made. And I, the next minute I was the shiny new rep with RPR. I moved to and then spent so about four or five years in different marketing roles, joined MSD and the, they, that's where I first got my marketing position. MSD at the time, probably still are really keen on nurturing internal new talent in marketing. And I look at some of my peers for the time that massive global pharma leaders which is brilliant to see I think testament to that as well so I spent nine years there in different roles NHS marketing and and brand marketing 
And then I thought, I want a different flavor of marketing. So I joined AZ at a time when they, they were undergoing a huge crisis with one of the brands. I won't mention the brand, but anyone who was working at the time will remember it. And in that period, I learned more about marketing and teamwork than I think I had in my entire education. And then nine years, it was an incredible experience. And I then had, a, had an opportunity to join Takeda. And you've probably heard the regional cat director, the RAD model was yeah. so innovative and interesting. They had got to the point where they realized they needed some central strategic marketing. So I joined that team to bring in that strategic marketing to the RAD model in the UK. And they, they were an incredible bunch to work with. You interviewed Mernaz and she was one of the team. Yeah. And as I a know marketer, a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they've all gone on to do brilliant things as well. And we had, we turned around a brand that was fourth in market, fourth to market, and in 18 months made it number one. And that was just working together with that team. It was amazing. And from that experience, I then moved into a European role with Takeda. So I got European experience there across the established brands. And that was also fantastic. And it was also my first sliding doors moment. The company moved to Zurich and I was offered a beautiful job leading the cardiometabolic franchise for UCAM, but coincided with my divorce, which wasn't planned for. And I had a four and eight year old at the time. So anywhere I cut it, I couldn't make it work. So I knew the decision I was making at the time. Tough as it was, decided to set up on my own, which I did for about 18 months, which is, I'd always wanted to do it. I thought, why not just see, um, see if it suits me. Uh, friends had done it and absolutely thrived. And I, it was a really, it was a fascinating experience. I got my first flavor of working agency side because the big project that I worked on that time was for Ashfield working on their global branding. They had lots of different companies at the time and we created one branded house and now I'm back there again via STEM and then the acquisitions. So I loved it, but I did miss being part of being really close to making a difference for brands and patients ultimately. So that's when I decided to expand my experience from the cardiometabolic experience that I had and get some biotech experience with Celgene in the UK, which had been, which was another huge learning curve. As marketing director, I got involved in CAR-T as the CAR-T director for the UK and the part of the global team, and then national sales director, which is a, a, one of my favorite jobs I've ever done at Second Line Sales Management. Really? Yeah. It was a brilliant team. That was all through COVID. So we worked, even though we were all remote, we worked incredibly closely to keep the team together, keep focused and support the journey back to seeing doctors again, seeing local schools again. So then that's next pivotal moment. I thought I've reached a point where I was looking for my a next step. And I've always been fascinated by STEM because all for all my marketing, all the experience, I really strongly believe that strategic alignment is the magic ingredient for a brand to be successful. If you haven't got the belief and confidence in your strategy from ev and everyone who's involved in it, it doesn't matter how good the strategy is, it won't work. And yeah. I love how STEM really quantifies that and gives insights and makes a difference, gives insights and makes recommendations that make a difference. So this opportunity came up with STEM and I thought, why not? It's it, it wraps up everything that I love about marketing and also gives me loads of accountability. I have a great team and have global responsibility for our major accounts and can get involved in lots of different, understanding lots of different company strategies as well. 
Yeah. So that's led me to where I am today. So it's, yes, it's in some ways very traditional, but I have made a couple of different choices along the way. You've had some big leaps though, haven't you? Do you think you've had, going back even to when you went from sales into marketing, what was it that made you make that initial leap? Do you, have you had people, you mentioned your mum earlier, have you had people that have really supported you and pushed you along the way? Yeah, I think the, the I, I, since I joined as a rep, I was fascinated by strategy, messaging, positioning, and the impact that has that I just wanted to get closer to it. I've seen throughout my career just marketeers who are so passionate about what they do, who make a huge difference through through their understanding of the market and the customer. I, I'd wanted to be part of that. So I think that's, that, that was a real driver. And then since I've been in there, in, in marketing, there's countless people, managers, colleagues, people who are now founders of other companies who have inspired me to keep challenging myself and to keep growing. Yeah. And was that when you moved down south then for a yeah. work for like a head office role? Or? Yeah. So I just, it, that was with MSC. I moved down south for the time they had a senior ref role. They're very <laughs> forward thinking at the time, even though it was 20 years ago. The customer services coordinator. And that was when I got into the marketing role down there as well. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I was talking to Jen Lang on the very first podcast we did about move. She moved from Scotland down south. And obviously I'm a northerner. And I never, it was never even, occurred, it didn't occur to me. It just never was something that I, I couldn't leave my, my, my home. I, didn't, I never wanted to move. <laughs> south but I do often wonder like if how different my career would have been if I had done it is it, I, I think know, it's sliding doors most I think when I decided not to not to go I had a similar thing when I decided not to move to Zurich I know that my career would have taken a different route different trajectory completely had I done that I, I think yeah it's interesting you look back and the time that those decisions were going to make a difference I think in hindsight it's, it's interesting yeah no regrets but it is interesting to think about it yeah and it is no regrets because you do, you make a choice, don't you? And you make a choice with everything that you have at that time. Like you said, you had a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. In 2013, when I came back to work, I chose to work remotely because I didn't want to go back into the field. I didn't want to be away from my family. It worked for me to stay home and not have those pressures. But it was a choice that I made at the time. But do you sometimes wonder, don't you? <laughs> It's hard not to. So we talked about sliding doors moments. Have you had any other sort of moments in your life that you think have been hugely pivotal for you and what have been the key factors that have driven you to go one route? Yeah, there's, there's probably a couple. The, the first sliding door, I think, was my divorce moment, which was kicked off by almost to the, to the letter, the film, Sliding Doors. Um, and that led to more. And I think the decision then I, that I had to make about Zurich was a tough one. But the, as I, I remember that it's quite significant. I was at the gym around that time making the decisions. I was wrapped with guilt and worry about being a single mum with this four and eight-year-old and how I was going to make the career thing work. And so at the gym, I saw a flyer for a book and it was called Step Aside Superwoman Career and Motherhood. And the subhead was career and motherhood of any woman by an author called Christine Brown Quinn. I thought that looks interesting. So I went home and I ordered the book and it's just, a, it, well, it's not a long book. It's all about Christine Brown Quinn, who was in investment banking and her sort of anecdotes about combining everything. And I've always really disliked the narrative of as a woman, can you have it all? 
can you have it all question? And she dispels that and just says, it's not about separating career, separating motherhood. It's all about making everything work for you together, applying your problem solving skills that you use at work to make your both your career and your family work the best for you in, a, in an absolute nutshell. There's lots of anecdotes of her personal experiences. And I was so impressed. And I, it was just a, uh, that was pivotal reading that book and a sliding moment finding the flyer. So I was so impressed. I wrote, I emailed the author and I said, yeah, I just have to tell you about this moment in my life. So I told her my story and she said, I said, perhaps, I don't know where you are, but perhaps we could have a chat, meet for coffee. And she's in St. Albans where I live. Yeah. Wow. And then she said, because I'm away in San Francisco for the next, next three weeks, we'll meet when we get back. And I was going up to San Francisco the following week for a kind of post-divorce treat. Wow. So the fun, my, I actually met her in the Cheesecake Factory on Union Square in San Francisco, where we just talked about life and work and career and everything. And I've kept in touch with her. So she's been, she's been a real mentor to me. That we've kept in touch through through my decisions I've made and just through different points in my life, which has been fantastic. That's an amazing story. I love that you made cheesecake with us. Right, since we spoke, when we had our chat a few weeks ago, I've bought two. I've downloaded both of her books, two of them anyway. So the Step Aside Superwoman, and there's another one I started reading just a few just last week. I can't remember the name of the second one now. The Eleven Secrets, I think, isn't it? The yeah. But no, I love her. And I love the fact that she is, like you say, she brings everything together and makes it, it just makes sense that yes. things to talk about. It's really good. And yeah. she, so she's with us. What a great mentor to have. I know. She is amazing. I don't see her enough. Uh, another sort of mentor, I know this is going back to a previous question, but a friend of mine, Patricia Seabright, she's in a different industry. I think it's great to have mentors who are outside of the industry as well. So mm. they give you a very, a very objective view. She's always been really sound, sound advisor. And she's another author. She's just written one, a book called She Said. So it's about women's voices and being heard, which is a very interesting one. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I'm not on royalties for either of these. <laughs> Recommendation. It takes me about a year to read a book because I fall asleep after about five minutes. But <laughs> like them. Yeah, you need to join a book club. There's, I've joined. There's one online actually. John Birch's Salt and Light Book Club, which is really good. Makes you okay. read it. Oh yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, it makes you stay awake. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So thinking about the different job roles that you've had over time, from the very start of your career. And obviously you went through that pivotal time in when you went to San Francisco. By the way, I love the fact that you had a little post-divorce treat in San Francisco. <laughs> has to be done. <laughs> then, so thinking about the different roles that you've had, have there been any times in your career where you think you have been more aware of your gender than others? So where it impacted you and perhaps made you do mm. things differently? This, I think... Generally, so I think over this, this long time in the industry, things are definitely improving. And I haven't had that many negative experiences, but definitely a couple of times when I've been more aware of my gender. And very early on, it was actually, I was applying for my first management role. And I, and you don't remember how hard it is to get your first management role. And I was, I was forwarded an email and I read through the email. And at one point there was a discussion about my ability to do the role. Because I had a six-month baby, my willingness and ability to really commit. So that was—I wasn't expecting that—and that was probably the first time I'd seen something concrete that was that directly related to 
my gender and the fact that I was a mum. I got the job anyway, so that was good. good. But yeah, it's just, I wasn't intended to see that email, but I'm glad I did because it just raised awareness of that. And then I think the second, the next one was much later and quite and more personal, really. And that was when I found myself a single mum. And uh, that guilt and worry that I was feeling before I'd read Christine's book and talked it through. I knew that that was very much something that a man in my position wouldn't have had to worry about. Yeah. And so I, eyes wide open, I saw it and then realized that was the decision I was making. And I made that choice that I think it's just a consciousness is that this is something that was directly related to my gender and the fact that I was a mum. I think it's great though, and again, the book that you talk about, that Step Aside Superwoman, there's no, it's not negative as such about this, it's just more being aware of it and managing yeah. Yeah. rather than that victim mindset. Yeah, exactly. Getting on top of it just and, and planning for it and aware of the decisions that you're making and how you're making them. I think that's the most important thing. I think as well, just I kind of linked to that, that me, what it has, those experiences given me and also the, the inspiration from my mum, who was top of our careers in us, was, is that D&I as an agenda and a value of a company is hugely important to me. And I always look for that. And then I'm on the D&I committee at STEM. I'm really pleased that the group company in this year has this, has a genuine commitment to demonstrating DNI values and they're developing a cross in the CEO agenda to support that as well. I just think it's very, it's critical to have that focus and openness to make sure that we're constantly addressing it. Yeah. Where do you think the pharma industry is in that area in general in DNI? That's a really great question. I think that's been my experience. I think it's, I'm, I've been really impressed. My, my previous experience with Celgene, who then bought by the MS, top of the agenda discussion and not just lip service. It's a genuine passion for it. I see the MS are even doing things like uh, championing menopause awareness in the workplace and doing concrete actions to make that, make that a reality. My old CAM colleague, Lisa Mackis, took the lead on that. And it's just been amazing to see the difference it's making. So I think as long as we have companies who are willing to pioneer and be brave and just, and I think we have that in our industry, it's really encouraging. I would agree. I think you de- I'm definitely seeing, you see a lot more about it now, certainly about the impact on menopause as well. The awareness is all, it's always the first step, isn't it? And then you start getting rid of the taboo, stop laughing about it. I think what we need to, still need to see, and it still would be good to see more women in boardrooms, more women at C-suite level. It's happening. You can see that happening. I think that's, and that's probably true of every industry. That's, it seems to be quite a slow pace of change. And that's probably where we'll know that we've made, we'll know that we've come a long way when we start seeing much more equality at the boardroom, diversity in the boardroom. Yeah, agreed. So you've talked a bit about mentoring and some of the mentors that you've had in your career. Is that something that you carve into your time to mentor others? Yeah, I find I really encourage my team always to have mentors. So I'll be their manager and I encourage them to find mentors within business or within wider businesses. And that always has benefits for people. It's something I encourage and then I make myself available to be mentors. So I'm currently mentored to two people in my company. I have some great mentees in Celgene BMS that I'm still in touch with. It's a valuable thing just to Without formality, I think sometimes people can make that relationship too formal. If, that, if formality works with people, then fine. But what I find really works is just regular check-ins with your mentor or mentee and talk about whatever's top of their mind and on their agenda. Yeah. 
I think at the moment as well, with the industry going through the changes that it's going through, there's a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? I think there's a lot of fear around, and I suppose it's probably the most critical time for certainly Salesforce to have that kind of support at least, or at least have people that they can talk to about the changes. Yeah, yeah I agree. And the roles are evolving. I think the latest data I've seen from STEM is that face-to-face calls are coming back with a vengeance. So I think whereas maybe a year and a half ago, we might have thought that it'll stay 50-50 virtual and face-to-face. Yeah. It's much more like sort of 70, 80% face-to-face now growing. So yeah. I think the, all the, the rumors of the de- demise of the face-to-face sales team are unfounded. But yeah. uh, what we do see is the nature of the discussions and the sorts of, then they're much more increased, the much increased focus on key account management, changing the role of the traditional rep, making it something actually more, probably more interesting and rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it is just having that competence across all channels. So you'll always, I don't think the face to face is ever going to go anywhere. It's just about nice even to go. I'm a big fan of being flexible and and making the blend of virtual and face to face work and that virtual can be so productive, probably more productive in some office roles, but getting back to meetings and we had a conference last week and seeing people having eye contact with people and those kind of collisions where you just get and meet up with somebody and have a chat about something. Just, you can't beat that. No, you can't. You can't. It's so true. And you don't realise quite how much you've missed it until you get in that environment and all of a yeah. sudden you're, there, you're having a drink at the bar again. It's the thing. Hello. Nice, Different world. Okay, thinking about work-life balance and also considering when you move into a new role and the additional pressures that we put on ourselves when you're in a new role, particularly at a senior level, how do you find you manage, and I know, again, Christine's book touches on this very well, so, so give us a bit of an overview in terms of how you manage work-life balance and your take yeah. on it. I think the, what I try to do is I try not to separate life into work and life because that would mean you get spent too much of your life, not in life. So yeah. that's, it's a mindset thing. I think it's, I think interconnected and I, and the more you think like that, the easier it is. Well, I think working virtually affords brilliant opportunities for an improved work-life balance. I think that to, to make that really work, you have to have such a strong team ethos of trust and accountability and a focus on, real focus on outputs and delivery. And I think that's what I try, that's what I try and make sure happens within the teams that I lead, making sure that I, we respect each other's work, life, different commitments and needs is the first step. And Making that come to life through a strong team with clear direction and values is what makes sure it, it makes it work. I think that's the real thing. Real, I think that's the core of it, that respect the needs, the needs of individuals and people and having, a, having an ethos of trust. It's, it means that people can make sure that they have a great work-life balance and flag it if they don't. Yeah. Do you think every role you've had that? the same that you give to your team now or do you think there have been times when it's been better than others or you've seen difference over the years yeah definitely I mean there have been times where I've been part of teams where the culture has been you're on call 24 7 and emailing through late into the night first thing in the morning when there's been a crunch point and yeah so there's been those times and there's times when you know even as a team leader where we've had we've been under pressure and, and people have had to put in the extra time I think it, I think the important thing is that 
if you're in the first sort of situation, if you're part of a team with that culture, where I have been, just making sure that's flagged and raising it, raising the impact of that, because people will start, you start getting less quality performance, people's hearts won't be in it, quality of what you're delivering will drop. And then where I've been involved in a team where we've had to do that pinch point times, it's making sure that we know there's an end point and what yeah. we're working towards. Yeah. This communication yeah, is so important. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it, it depends so much on the circumstances under which someone's been asked to to deliver at that pace. And if it's a one-off and the culture is right and, and the communication is there, then they yeah. know the reason why they're being asked to do it. And yes. and hopefully you've got that loyalty and trust and they're treated like grown-ups so they don't mind doing it. I suppose it's just if it, if there isn't that visibility or communication from senior management where when it starts to fall down. Yeah, agree. Another question for you on this sort of topic, really. What advice, if you could go back and have your time again from right from the start of the industry, what lessons have you learned along the way and what sort of advice would you give to new starters in the industry now, do you think? If I was going to give advice to my new starter self or anyone starting in the industry, it would be to keep a really open mind about where your future avenues lie. And take the time in your first two, three years to understand the broader enterprise of the business. So not just your therapy area, not just your specific franchise, or even not just sales and marketing, but start to understand early and be curious about market access, about regulatory, speak to your medical colleagues and learn as much as you can about that breadth. Because... I think I've seen people make jumps in and out of different functions within the industry because they had that curiosity. I think I was quite set on sales, management, marketing, and I probably could have, would have really benefited from just stepping back and learning more about the company, the enterprise, the globe, the way the global operation works, and more about the industry, not just in the UK, but globally to take advantage of that new, that new entry advantage that you have where you can ask all the questions and get to know it so use use the new card more <laughs> yeah the real breadth to the real breadth of the knowledge and i think that the second thing is don't be afraid of that the, the, there's that term career scaffolding where you'll take sideways steps to learn more about the business i think that's a big lesson for me is that careers don't have to be this ladder and every move doesn't have to be a step up you can gain a huge amount from gaining a breadth of experience in different functions too yeah, that'll be the other one. Do you know what? I've yeah. never heard that term career scaffolding, but I love that. Yeah. There you go. That's a new one for me. I don't own that. I don't think that was any of uh, a HR director I used to work with. I hadn't heard it. So you can own it for now. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what yes. you like to do in your spare time when you now you've got. So I suppose when they're 20 and 16. Yeah. Please tell me you get more free time when they're well, just started to. So yeah, because I'm, I'm empty nest supposedly, but. It's sort of the ne- they still, they keep flying back to the nest every few weeks or so, but I do have a bit more time. So I've joined the West End Musical Choir. Oh my God! What's yeah. doing? Oh, it's so much fun. There's one in Manchester. Is there? Yes. W E M C. Have to. It's they have a Manchester outpost, and it's brilliant. So mon- Monday nights in in central London, and we belt out West End tunes as a choir, and it's just great fun. So thoroughly enjoying that. Also, I live in St Albans, which is just twenty minutes from London. So that's fantastic because it's just such a quick 
quick stop into London. Because I've been in St Albans for about 20 years, I'm very involved in our local community and charity stuff as well, which is, we, we do quite a lot in St Albans. It's a great city to visit if you haven't already. I, mean, I haven't. Tell me what sort of stuff you do. So I, we have a, we have a, an annual festival, St Albans Festival, and this huge, they call it the Pilgrimage, which is giant puppets and massive organisation, starts from St Peter's Church, goes to the Alban Abbey, the huge cathedral. And that's, that I took a pause due to COVID, but it's back again. And that's it. That's, that sort of starts organising from January. And it oh, really? In June. Yeah, so it's really good. So you've lived in St Albans for 20 years. Are you, is that you there now? You're staying there or are you going to move? Well, this is a really good question. I've got an open mind. I think the, the, I'm not stuck here. So it's been great to bring the girls up here. And I think I've always had that thing in my mind about working overseas. So that, if that door at door or other overseas doors opened, I'm probably more open and able to do that now than I've ever been. Yeah. I'll see what the future yeah. brings. You can run a job from anywhere in the world now, can't you? Yeah. You know, there's yeah. nothing, there's exactly. no real boundary. And my current team's global and we work with global pharma companies and across the STEM globe as well. So that's every yeah. time zone. And yeah, it's made for virtual. Yeah. It's, it's great. Oh, I hope you get to travel. That would be yeah. nice. Thank you. Thank you for chatting to me. It's been really lovely to get to hear all about, especially the books. I will put that book actually as a in the show notes as a link for people to go to because, as I say, I've read, I'm reading two of them. Red is overestimating my ability to cover more <laughs> chapter at night. But yeah, I'll include the links in the show notes. Thanks, Liv. Thank you. It's been great to chat. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another episode. If you fancy reading any of the books that Lisa told us about, check out the show notes for the details. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying the podcast in general, do subscribe if you haven't already and keep on spreading the word on social media. As always, go to thisgirlcam.com to see this interview in print on Friday and find out who my guest is next week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now.